Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. Right, well, before I jump into the preaching of God's Word, just want to invite you to come visit Nikki and I in our Zoom room. We have a meeting set up for 11 a.m. this Sunday morning, February 7th, and we would love to see you there. We had about 30 people um, drop by last week to say hello. It's a great time of coffee and chatting and uh, encouragement. If you'd like to find the link, just visit our website, gracecommunity.ca. You can find the link there. Also, one more thing to uh, bring to your attention. We purposely limit the number of announcements that we have in our services, in our online services, and even when we were meeting exclusively physically, we try to keep the announcements to a minimum, but that does not mean that there's not a lot of things going on. So the best way for you to stay connected to everything that's happening at Grace is to join our mailing list. It goes out typically every Friday and uh, is really a treasure trove of information about the things that are happening here at this church. And there are a lot of really exciting things happening. And uh, you, as one of God's people, really need to find your place on his mission as expressed through this local house. If this is your local church, you need to find a place to serve. So you can find out about what's happening by checking out our mailing list. You can find it at gracecommunity.ca front slash announcements. So go to the announcements page, scroll right down to the bottom, and you can sign up for it there. We are uh, taking 12 steps to freedom to start 2021. And uh, these 12 steps are found in the first 12 chapters of the book of Exodus. I hope you've been enjoying the series so far. It's been really fun for me to both write these sermons, and I always look forward to coming in to record these sermons for you. As always, I'm trying to give God his glory and hoping to help you find your joy so that through your transforming life, much good can be done to the world around you. That's ultimately what I'm trying to do with each and every one of these sermons. We've uh, taken four steps so far, and this morning we take step number five. Just to refresh your memory on the steps, week one, step one, remember that God's hand is upon you. Step two, remember that God is involved. He hears, he remembers, he sees, he knows. Step three, listen and let it happen, also known as God is the action hero. Step four, let your belief, I love that one, lead you into action. That was last week's sermon. You might need to go back and rewatch that or forward it to somebody you know who is struggling with trusting God. Let your belief lead you into action. And today, with step five, we're going to dig deep because it gets worse before it gets better. And I have a bunch of clues to help you learn what it's going to look like in your life to dig deep, and they are found, surprise, surprise, in Exodus chapter five. Here it is. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. 
but the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid upon the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will give you no more straw. Go and get your straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh said, you are idle. You're idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. This is, a, this is a heavy duty chapter. As I wrote it, as I prepared to preach it, I was just struck again and again by how truly heavy these points are. These points are not heavy in that they're meant to make you deal with heaviness, but they're heavy in terms of their impact. They're deep, they're difficult, they're challenging. So I just wanna invite you to you know, buckle up your seatbelt and do whatever you can to really absorb whichever of these points are for you today, despite the fact that they're hard points. Okay, this is not a, a touchy-feely sermon in its content. I'm going to do my best to deliver it very calmly and simply because the points in and of themselves are difficult for the both of us. To dig deep, first point, you're going to need to learn to endure the long road. I get this straight out of verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh. Three words here that are in play. Afterwards, went, and said. I wonder how long it took for them to get to Egypt. I wonder what happens along the way. Once they arrived, I wonder how long it took for them to arrange to get an audience with Pharaoh. I don't know if you've ever tried to get in touch with somebody famous, but it's not that easy. And Pharaoh was not just famous, he's the most powerful person in the entire region. Considered a living God by his people. I'm sure you couldn't just, you know, send a piece of parchment to the palace and get an immediate response. Hey, we'd like to talk to Pharaoh. How long did it take for them to get the audience? And once they finally got the audience, how hard would it have been to face him and to say to him the things that they had to say? I just want to point out that there's a lot of work involved in getting to where you're going and doing what needs doing. 
Because I'm convinced as I work my way through Exodus this year that you and I are not that different from Moses and Aaron. I see myself reflected in their story. I see your story reflected in theirs. Afterwards, how's your afterwards looking? Is it tough for you to do what you need to do these days? Are you finding the journey a little bit long and laborious? If that's you, I just want to encourage you by saying you're not alone. You're not the first one of God's people who's ever found themselves stuck in a difficult afterwards. To dig deep, you're going to need to learn to endure the long road. And we've all learned something about that this year, have we not? Oh, just like Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, right? If we knew it would be this long, oh my. And knowing that, who knows how long it's going to be. So dig deep and endure the long road. And point number two, decide um, which side of thus says the Lord and who is the Lord you land on. I get this out of verse one and verse two. So Moses and Aaron show up in front of Pharaoh. And look what they say. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. There's a clue here that helps us interpret this in the original language. In the original language, the Lord is yud Hey vav Hey, Y-W-H-W, Yahweh. Y-W, did I write it down? yud Hey Y-H-W-H, the unpronounceable, unspeakable name of God, the personal name of God. So in the English here, it's rendered as the Lord, but in the original, it's his actual proper name. So when Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord, he's actually saying, I don't know Yahweh. And that's what Moses and Aaron say to him. Thus says Yahweh, let my people go. And Pharaoh's response is, I don't know who Yahweh is. Why should I do what he says? I'm not going to let them go. Thus says the Lord. Who is the Lord? This is the dividing line in our culture. If you think about it, most people you know are going to land on one side or the other of that spectrum. They'll either know the Lord or they'll have no idea who the Lord is. If they know the Lord, they may be disposed to listening to him and doing what he says. If they don't know the Lord, expecting them or commanding them or asking them to do what God says is a complete non-starter. On which side of the line do you fall? Do you know the Lord? Or if you're honest, would your answer be, uh, who is this Yahweh you're talking about? Which side do you land on? And how have you been acting? If you land on the side of knowing who Yahweh is, have you been acting like it? It's significant to me in verse 2 that Pharaoh says, I do not know Yahweh. I don't know who this God is that you're talking about. And I will not obey him. Moreover, I will not let his people go. I don't know who he is. And I'm not going to do what he says. Now, I realize that you may not be in the habit of saying that. 
Okay, it, not, it may not be your habit to deny God's existence, and it may not be your habit to proclaim that you refuse to obey him. But, and this is a difficult point, are you acting that way? I think there's at least a chance that even though you may not say you do not know the Lord and you will not do what he says, you are saying that by what you do. That your actions don't line up with your so-called belief in Yahweh. Touche, preacher. Look, I know it's true for me. I know that 100% obedience is not a reality in my life. So I was a little worried about you as I came to this point. That you may not be brazenly denying God's existence with your words, but you might be denying his existence with your actions. If you want to dig deep, you need to make sure that you are not living like an unbeliever. It's important to like say this without heaping guilt on you. Like if you think about the story, if God exists and if it's possible to be his friend, wouldn't it be better to be his friend? And if it was possible to be his friend and therefore it might be possible to be his enemy, it would seem to make sense that you wouldn't want to be his enemy, right? Let's take it one step further. If God exists, and if he is who he says he is, and if he does what he says he does, and if he designed you to be his friend forever, it would be better to live as his partner, not as a rebel, correct? Because if God exists, I, I would hate to rebel against him. And then, to close the case, if you had been made to be his friend and his partner, if you were meant to be a co-creator of his good creation with him, which, of course, the purpose that he built into our first father, Adam, and our first mother, Eve, if that was why you existed to help build God's world, then it would be a complete waste of your life and potential to live it in rebellion against the God who made you to be his friend and partner. I think it'd be a very good chance if you were living your life as a rebel that you would be completely dissatisfied, unhappy, and depressed. Somebody say, touche, preacher. That might be why you hate your life so much, because you're living it as a rebel. Maybe it's time to consider stopping. Stop it. Because the curse is not your destiny. This is the powerful points in the Eden story. That after God creates the Garden of Eden, places our first parents in it, tells them to go ahead and eat from every tree, just to leave the tree of the knowledge of good and evil alone. And if you went to Sunday school, you know the story. Maybe if you didn't, you've heard it told that the snake, representing the devil, Satan, the great adversary, tempted our first mother Eve to eat from that tree. And she did. And then she gave to her husband, and he ate too. And their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. All of a sudden, they were ashamed for the first time ever. And in that act of disobedience, sin and death and curse came into the human story. And ever since that day, human beings have been born with a sin nature. This tendency, this propensity to rebel against our maker. And God cursed our first parents after they sinned against him told them their life would be difficult, banished them from the garden to the east of Eden. And particularly Adam's curse always rings in my mind. 
God says to him, in effect, look, you're going to farm the grounds because that's what you're going to need to do to eat. But you're going to spend your time farming and instead of giving you the food that you need, it's going to give you thorns and thistles. I think of this every time something goes wrong in my life, every single time. And yes, I get exasperated every time something goes wrong. Do you ever get one of those days which is like a cascading series of unfortunate events? One thing leads to the next, and then the next, it just gets worse and worse and worse. I try to stop myself early in the process and just say, this is the curse. I'm dealing here with the curse. So I try in that moment to repent, and I ask God, Lord, could you step in, please, and help me? Because I don't want to live under the curse any more than I need to, because in Jesus, the curse is not my destiny. So when you hear Pharaoh say to Moses and Aaron in verse 4, part B, get back to your burdens. You should hear here the echo of the same thing that the curse says to you every single day. Get back to your burdens. Ever had a boss who just told you to suck it up and get back to work? Ever had a parent who just told you to quit your whining and get back to work? That's an echo of what Pharaoh says here. Get back to your burdens. That's an echo of what the curse says. Get back to your burdens. That's the consistent refrain in our culture. I just want to tell you that in Jesus, you can discover a whole new way of being human. In Jesus, you can discover the pathway to freedom. Because Jesus, God the Son made flesh, in his incarnation, in his sinless life, a life in which he perfectly fulfilled the will of God his Father, in his death upon Calvary's cross, where God the Father placed upon him the iniquities of us all, the penalty for your sin and mine was borne by Jesus in that moment. In his death, burial, and third day, resurrection from the dead, Jesus rewrites the sad history of humanity. And he ushers in a whole new way of being human. He ushers in his kingdom. He ushers in the beauty and the glory of friendship with God for you and me once again. In his death and resurrection, he makes restoration to friendship with God possible for you. And I've already told you that in friendship with God is the pathway to peace. So if you are suffering from a lack of peace today, I'm here to tell you as a Bible preaching pastor who loves you that the reason you don't have peace is because you lack friendship with God. And the reason you lack friendship with God is because you're sold as a slave to sin. And that means that the curse is ravaging your life, which is why you're so wretched and miserable. So if you want to come free today, you need to come to Jesus. Let me give you an opportunity right now to come to Jesus. You can just simply say right there, sitting in your own living room, Jesus, this is getting to me today. I find myself believing for the first time today. Would you do that thing that you do, Lord? Would you save me now from my sin? Would you forgive me? Would you now adopt me into your family? Would you make me yours? Would you do for me these things that the preacher is talking about? I want what he's talking about. Would you make it happen for me now in Jesus' name? And then if you just prayed that prayer with me, say it right there in your living room. Amen. If you just said amen, welcome to the family. Begin to expect to see the weight of sin and death and curse passing away in your life in ever greater measure as you take step after step after step from this day forward in friendship with God. I want to invite you to take those steps to walk that journey of friendship with God with your head screwed on right. 
I want to invite you to walk your journey with God in a way that is healthily disillusioned. I don't want you to suffer from illusion. I don't want you to think that now because you've come to Jesus, everything's going to suddenly become a rose garden. The Bible teaches us that we will go from glory to glory as we walk with God in Christ. The Bible teaches us that we are not yet what we will be. But one day we will see him face to face and we will fully know him even as we are fully known. But for now, it's baby steps, putting one foot in front of the other, following Jesus all the way home. Let me urge you to do this with your eyes wide open and your head screwed on right. Why? Well, because if your life is anything like mine, there's at least a chance that things might get worse before they get better. This is what happens in verses 6 through 9. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. We did not expect the story to get worse before it gets better. We're jaded because we know this story so well. But maybe you're hearing this story exposed for the very first time. And it is surprising to you that Yahweh would send his servants to get his people freed from Egypt. And the moment they first demand freedom for God's people from Pharaoh, things go from bad, their slaves, to worse. Now they have to make the same number of bricks, but they have to get the straw for themselves. This is how life goes sometimes. It gets worse before it gets better. Do not suffer from illusion and expect that just because you belong to God's people, things are going to be easy for you. They aren't. Disillusionment is a good thing to not suffer from illusion. Every time I talk to somebody about why their life is so difficult, you know what I tend to say? Gently, I feel you. I'm sorry. I know other people who've walked through this. If I can relate personally, I say, I have walked through what you're walking through. God knows you. God loves you. God feels your pain. But I got to tell you, brother, I got to tell you, sister, that east of Eden, all bets are off. Okay, we are no longer living in the Garden of Eden in face-to-face -face fellowship with God and one another, everything as it was meant to be. We live now in the Shadowlands, east of Eden, in a world that is broken and crushed under the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell. And yes, some of us are awakening into new life in Christ. And for us, the tide is beginning to turn. But for most of the people you know, they are, as C.S. Lewis puts it, living in the outskirts of hell even now. And it doesn't take very much news watching or story reading, or television series watching, to realize that the world is an incredibly dark and horrific place. And most of the people you know are mostly suffering most of the time. Why? Because east of Eden, all bets are off. I want to remind you this morning, because I care about you, that life's default setting is difficult. That's its default set. Expect it, okay? Don't be surprised. My sons play video games. I don't know why, because I never did growing up. But they do. And the Jokers sometimes play Madden with the setting on like easy or like super, I don't even know what it is, but it's basically a setting where the game is artificially easy. And I would say to them, why would you play a game with the setting on artificially easy? Because you run up the score, but you're not that good because you're playing under false pretenses. <laughs> Unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, there is no easy setting for life. Somebody shout in this house. 
Okay, just get your mind right. Life's default setting is difficult. So the journey home is going to involve some trudging. You're welcome. <laughs> but as you trudge your way home, let me remind you, point number six now, all receive it, that slavery is not your destiny. Okay, verse nine, when Pharaoh says, let heavier work be laid upon the men, in the Hebrew it's actually the people. Let heavier work be laid upon the people. I just want to tell you that when you find yourself in a situation where your life gets heavier instead of lighter, where things get worse instead of better, I just want to remind you of two things. One, behold, I am with you always, said Jesus to his disciples right before he ascended to the Father's right hand in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. That's the kind of promise you can hold on to. Behold, I am with you always. So Jesus is with you. And it gets even better when you add to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 11, verse 30. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. You're hanging out with the God-man and he's very good at carrying stuff because the weight he has to carry is easy and his burden is light. If you're trying to survive the heaviness of life, hang out with Jesus. Somebody say, boom. I believe in my guts that the degree to which you are close to Jesus is the degree to which you will find yourself able to live under the heaviness of life without it crushing your soul. The obverse is true. If you are relationally distant from Jesus, do not be surprised if your life crushes you. So please take my advice today and come back to Jesus. You're like, Pastor Todd, how can I stay close to Jesus? I'll tell you how I do it. Well, I told you a few weeks ago, Bible every day, worship on the way. What did Jesus say? I read my Bible every single day. Even when I don't feel like it, I sit down in the morning and I read my Bible. One chapter in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New Testament, one Psalm or Proverb. And when I finish, I start all over again. I do it with a pen, because reading is only work if you do it with a pen. And when God surfaces something for me from the text, I make a note, I write it down, and I meditate on that throughout the rest of the day. Sometimes I write it in like on a post-it note and put it in my pocket so I don't forget the one thing that sang to me from that day's session in the Word. And then I worship throughout the day. I listen to worship music. I sit and I listen to the voice of God in the midst of the world around me. I rush to church. The moment we're allowed to regather, rush back to church. The moment we're allowed to start singing again, lift your voice to the high King of heaven. Worship on the way as you go throughout your day. Worship the Lord and then ask yourself moment by moment, what did Jesus say? What did he say about how to deal with this kind of situation? And you're like, I don't have the whole Bible memorized. All you have to remember is Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. Jesus encapsulates all the law and the prophets in the two great commandments. You need to learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You need to learn to love your neighbor as you learn to love yourself. Love God, love neighbor, love self. 
On these two hang all the law and the prophets. So moment by moment, you love God, you love your neighbor as you're learning to love yourself. You worship on the way and you step into your Bible every day. That's how you stay close to Jesus. That way, even if you're being asked to do the impossible, you don't know who your real enemy is, even if you're in deep trouble or find yourself on tender hooks, even if your allies have turned against you, and even if you are questioning your entire mission and purpose, it's with great joy today that I get to tell you that you will not be living an unresolved story. Why? Well, because of Jesus and only because of Jesus. Let me unpack those last few points for you as we close. Point seven from verse 16. They're being asked to do something impossible. No straw is given to them. Yet they say to us, make bricks. It's impossible in that day and age of the world to make bricks without straw. They're being asked to do the impossible. Is that you? Are you being asked to do the impossible? I just want to know that God sees you. God knows what you're dealing with. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So Lord, I just speak your provision into the life of those watching who find themselves in an impossible situation. Friend, if that's you, just say, that's me right now. That's me. Just raise your hand right there in your living room. That's me. I'm facing an impossible situation. I'm speaking to you right now. Lord, would you provide for my friends? Would you provide for my sisters and brothers, Lord? For those facing an impossible situation, would you step in, Lord, God of the impossible, and do what only you can do, Lord? Or maybe you're facing a worst-case scenario. Maybe you don't even know who your enemy is. Isn't that the worst kind of ignorance? You don't even know what you don't know. You ever been betrayed by somebody and you didn't see it coming? It's the worst kind of betrayal. It's the definition of betrayal. You think everything's hunky-dory, all of a sudden, pow! Why do they always stab you in the back? Because you can't see them coming. Maybe you find yourself in that situation. Where do I get that from in the text? I get it now in point number eight from verses 16b through 17a. They're complaining to Pharaoh. They say, behold, your servants are beaten. Your taskmasters are beating us, but the fault is with your own people. And then Pharaoh turns the tables on them. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. Pharaoh set them up. He agreed to this audience. He let them speak their peace. And then he stabbed them in the back. You're idle. That's why you're asking to go worship your God. I'm the one who told them to do this to you. This is a worst case scenario. So maybe you this week find yourself in a worst case scenario. Maybe you lost your job this week. God help you. Maybe you got a terminal diagnosis this week. I just want to stand in the gap with you. And Lord, would you show them your mercy? Jehovah Jireh, would you see into their situation and provide for them, Lord? You are the miracle working God. You are Jehovah Jireh. You're Jehovah Nisi, our deliverer. We're Jehovah Rophe, our healer. Lord, would you step in miraculously into this worst case scenario and make it right? Lord, if you're not going to do that, 
Would you step in and comfort them miraculously by your Holy Spirit? Lord, would you give them the strength to endure this thing that in this moment they think they cannot endure? Friend, if I'm speaking to you, just receive the comfort of God most high in this moment. Maybe like the foreman of the people of Israel. In verse 19, you find yourself in deep trouble. And they realized <laughs> that they were in trouble when they said, you shall make bricks without straw and deliver the same amount of bricks tomorrow as you did yesterday. That's fancy biblical language for oh crap. We're in deep, I mean the deepest, I mean we're in the, the deepest trouble possible. If you find yourself in trouble, let me urge you to call on Jesus for help. Let me remind you to lift your eyes to him for your salvation. He's the only one who can save you. Maybe like um, Moses and Aaron who are waiting outside the audience chamber to see how this complaint before Pharaoh went. Maybe you find yourself on tender hooks. Are you waiting to hear back about that job you applied for? Are you nervous about it? So Lord, would you step in and provide? Would you calm their nerves? Would you speak words of love and provision into my sister's life who's on tender hooks today? Into my brother's life who's stressed out because he doesn't know how it's gonna go? Can I bring to your remembrance this morning the powerfully beautiful words of Jeremiah 29 11? For I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And so let peace reign in your heart this morning, knowing that God knows that he's in control, that he has not left his throne, that he has not left you alone. But Pastor Todd, my allies have turned into enemies. The people that I thought I could trust have betrayed me. It's exactly what happens to Moses and Aaron. The guys come out from the audience with Pharaoh, and in verses 20 through 21, they turn on Moses and Aaron. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in his hand to kill us. The people that they have come to try and save are cursing them. Are you suffering from a broken relationship today? Find yourself in this story. And Lord, would you restore those broken relationships? Would you mend that which has been broken in their families, in their friendships? Lord, for someone watching whose love life has fallen completely apart, 
Would you just reassure them today that you've got this? Maybe you know, worst of all, all this trouble you're dealing with has you questioning <laughs> your entire mission and purpose. As we close with verses 22 and 23, look what poor Moses does. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why? Can you feel yourself in the story here? Oh, Lord, why? Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you even send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Why? You ever ask God why? I have many times. I did last week. I got some very bad news from two friends of mine last week on two different fronts. As I sat in my prayer closet just broken for them, I asked the Lord why. And if you're watching, guys, I'm praying for you. Why, Lord? So all I can say is if you find yourself asking why, you're not the first one to ever do so. You certainly won't be the last. And God is big enough for all your whys. He's big enough to take your disappointment. He's big enough to take your pain. I'm fond of saying in pastoral situations when someone's dealing with acute suffering that all the suffering you and I will ever deal with is connected to and part of the suffering of God the Son on the cross. That the pain that Jesus dealt with as the weight of the sins of the world was laid upon him, was a pain so big and so far-reaching that it is part of the pain that you are feeling right now. And though none of us would ever welcome pain if we had the choice, pain and suffering have the capacity to unite you with Jesus in a way that almost nothing else does. That's why the scripture speaks of sufferings as the fellowship of his sufferings. That in suffering, you become a friend of God. Why, God? And then get a load of the verse 23. This is the last thing I'm going to say today. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, get a load of this. These are two things that I want you to really notice. He has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. You know why this is just awful, but I hope beautiful? Notice that their suffering is tangible. Since we came to this people, he, Pharaoh, has done evil. So we did what you said, we showed up. We said to him what you told us to say to him. And the result is, Lord, in case you haven't noticed, he has done evil to this people. And you <coughs> have not delivered. God promised to deliver. That's the genesis of this whole story. I have seen the suffering of my people Israel. Their cry has come up to my ears. But he hasn't done it yet. So in this moment in the story, that promise of deliverance is a future promise. 
It has not yet happened, but what makes it especially bitter is that all the bad stuff that they weren't expecting has. Thanks a lot, God. All this horrible stuff is happening, and all this beautiful stuff that you're talking about hasn't happened yet. Our suffering is tangible, but our promised deliverance is still a promise. Next time you find yourself feeling that way, remember Jesus. You see, Moses and Aaron were walking this path of suffering before the incarnation of God in Christ. So the bitterness that they felt is not a bitterness that you should ever feel. Because though you may find yourself in situations nearly as difficult as theirs, you have the empty tomb to look back upon. The tomb is still empty in Jerusalem today. He has risen. And he is seated, even now, at the Father's right hand, interceding for you. And he will come again one day in glory to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end. A kingdom in which you, my friend, have a place. So uh, I'm betting I'm hoping with everything I've got that remembering that will help you dig deep. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you're leaving feeling encouraged. If you have any questions for us or you'd like to pay us a visit, you can find all the info you need on our website, gracecommunity.ca. 